Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V, and today I'm super, super, triple, super excited to welcome Gabriel Bergmoser, award-winning Melbourne-based author and playwright. He won the prestigious Sir Peter Ustinov Television Scriptwriting Award in 2015, was nominated for the 2017 Kenneth Branagh Award for New Drama Writing, and went on to win several awards awards at the 2017 VDL One Act Play Festival Circuit. In 2016, his first young adult novel, Boone Shepherd, was shortlisted for the Reading's Young Adult Prize. His first novel for adults, The Hunted, is a bestseller and a film adaption is currently being developed in a joint production between Stampede Ventures and Vertigo Entertainment in Los Angeles. And today, I can't wait to talk about The Inheritance, the follow-up to The Hunted. Welcome, Gabe. Thank you so much for having me back, Danny. <laughs> I love, I love having you on the podcast because a number of reasons. We go on massive tangents and we talk as fast as each other. So apologies to listeners. You might need to slow this episode down a bit, but we're just going to go hell for leather as usual. We, we don't know where this is going to end up. We have <laughs> we gone to some wild territories we doing might this show. talk about books. We might not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's everything's up in the air at the moment. Like strap in. <laughs> questions what questions we're just gonna chat <laughs> okay the first thing i need to say to you is that i loved this book and i'm not sure if i'm allowed to say this but i loved the hunted but i loved the inheritance so much more and this is the most relieving thing you could possibly tell me because like Obviously, anytime you have a second book come out, and I mean, like, I've deliberately written the inheritance so that if you haven't read The Hunted, you can read it and it'll make Absolutely. perfect sense and it'll be fine. Totally. But even so, you know, I don't think 
it's been a weird one because the first draft of this I, I wrote before The Hunted was even, I think, acquired at that point. So it's kind of been on a bit of a journey, but, and, it, and we'll talk about this, I'm, I'm sure, at some point, because it, it's been on like quite a wild journey from like from first draft to what it currently is. But really, it's kind of only been in like the last six months that I think the reality of how well received The Hunted actually was mm-hmm. has started to hit home and like how there are a lot of people out there and, and this still blows my mind to this day, but there are a lot of people out there who are very, very passionate about The Hunted and I've I've kind of heard from a lot of them and it, it always, always like makes my week whenever that happens. <laughs> but the problem is that every time I do hear that, I start being like, oh God, they're going to hate the inheritance. They're going to hate the inheritance. They're absolutely going to hate the inheritance because it's it's a very different book. And that was partly by design, but I kind of look back at it now and I go, I, I think if the if the full extent of how successful The Hunted had been had sunk in before I wrote The Inheritance, I think it would be a very different book. And so I kind of think for better or worse, this was written from a place of like honesty that wasn't really influenced too much by what the hunted was but of course that does now leave me being like oh man should i have like you know tried to try to write more to what people liked about the hunted or should i have like tried to kind of stay in the same lane as the hunted instead of kind of going down this like fast-paced violent noir route as opposed to i guess fast-paced violent outback horror but I guess I kind of got to a place where I was like, look, if at least one person likes it more than The Hunted, then I can at least say, cool, I didn't totally screw it up. And so you saying that is a massive relief for that exact reason. You are now my one person and the pressure is off. Well, I'm not going to be the only one, but I'm glad to be the one. That's pretty special. But you know what? You've said this from the start. You said it's a very, very different book. But when I read it, and it is different, but I don't think it's that far removed. I mean, we've still got this great character who we keep learning more and more about. And there are some cracker scenes in this, particularly the opening one game. Like, and because I remember you saying really interior story, blah, blah. So I think in my head, I wasn't expecting those cracker scenes, but wow, there are a few. Tell me about this without giving anything away, obviously. I mean, to me, I think I've probably alluded to this before, but to me, the fun of writing a character like Maggie is the problem solving. You know, it's the let's put her in the most difficult situations we can think of and then try to come up with a way to get her out of it. And, you know, I'm very inspired. I'm very open about this, but I'm very inspired by Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and how Vince Gilligan's approach in writing those shows was always that. And so a lot of the actiony scenes kind of stem from that place of being like, all right, I'm going to put her in a rundown lawyer's office with bikers and a corrupt cop and all of these people bearing down on her and everybody's out to get her. And how does she get out of there and get to safety? And the great thing about Maggie is that on the one hand, yes, she is able to kind of think her way out of things, but she also has no qualms whatsoever in using extreme violence as a means to get out of those situations, particularly when she's up against very bad people as she was in The Hunted and she is in this. And so there's a real like almost clockwork thrill, I think, to putting those scenes together because on the one hand, you know, writing action is just fun in general. But on the other hand, it's like trying to make it surprising yet inevitable, trying to make it uh, original and engaging and fresh, but also kind of trying to write something that like I sit back and I guess I think if I was reading this, would I get that like that, that thrill that you always get from any pulpy story where, you know, for want of a better word, there's a really great kill or there's a really great action scene. Or, you know, it's like when you're watching any, like, like have you seen the movie Nobody, the recent action movie with, um you know, Bob Odenkirk from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, yeah, yeah, like yeah. basically does the John Wick thing. And it is like one of the most 
wildly entertaining movies I've ever seen because it kind of wears its pulpy heart on its sleeve. But that movie is full of those moments where you go, oh man, I can't believe they got away with that. Or, oh man, I can't believe they did that. And, you know, I guess when, when like there's the satisfaction of a problem solved plus, you know, that problem being solved, shedding some light on Maggie's character, plus kind of taking it in a direction that can hopefully make the audience either wince or cheer or punch the air or hopefully all of that at once. That I think is a sweet spot that I'm always kind of trying to aim for in these scenes. So I had a lot of fun, even though it doesn't quite have the same probably shot through intensity of the hunted because the hunter takes place over like 12 hours if you mm. take away the flashbacks uh this is spread out over a longer period of time there are there are more lulls there are more opportunities for maggie to kind of reflect on things there's more of her past and her character that's delved into but it was really um important to me i guess to make sure that there was still plenty of action that there were those like big lengthy action scenes of her like trying to escape from somewhere her trying to overcome all these people or whatever and that they increased in intensity and insanity as the book went on because i sort of felt like that was the way that i could have my cake and eat it too you know to, to go deeper and to go a bit more a bit more character driven a bit more thematically informed maybe while still hopefully writing something that fans of the hunted could really get a kick out of mm, I loved all of that and I loved I loved both and I think that that's what was really good about the book they had this really good pace of full-on action where she would do some quite you know interesting creative wild things <laughs> I'm trying to be very careful here <laughs> but then we'd start to get to know what was going through her mind and why she made the decision she didn't I actually really really enjoyed that I love character driven things and action as well so reading that together was amazing but I think we need to go back a bit because I always ask for elevator pitch first, but we got a bit carried away. <laughs> so oh, right. that was my fault. Um, Can you give well, us an I elevator guess, pitch, I guess? Oh, man. And I, you know, I haven't done this very much for The Inheritance. <laughs> like if you if you ask me to elevate elevator pitch the hunted or true colour of Little White Lie, like I can I can this, smash those out immediately. This can be your practice. Once, so it's but, a safe um, space here, gay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, no, no stakes. Um, no, look, effectively, I think there's kind of two elevator pitches for the inheritance. I think one is if you've read The Hunted, this is your chance to actually really learn where Maggie is coming from. This is your yeah. chance to delve into her mind, to learn what's driving her, to learn exactly what she's running from, and to really discover who she Like for me as a writer, it was all about discovering who she was because The Hunted, I felt like I introduced her, but I only scratched the surface. Whereas this was the book where I really got to know her and, and really kind of fall in love with her a bit more. Me Whereas too, I me guess too. Yeah, I, I felt did. a lot more connected to her and a lot more like emotionally invested in her after this than I did in The Hunted. I loved her in The Hunted, but in The Hunted, I was a little bit more in awe of her. I was a bit more like, oh, Maggie's just like so cool and so fun to write. And so, an, yeah, you're looking in, I think, in The Hunted. Yeah. You're looking in, but here, no, you were looking from her, you were in her head. Yeah, totally. and that was really important to me to make sure that it was very much lodged purely in her perspective. So we weren't, there, there is one chapter, which is one of my favourite chapters in the book, where it cuts to a different perspective, mm -hmm. but um, but otherwise it really is just kind of yeah. in her mind. So I guess then the the flip side to that is if you haven't read The Hunted, uh, no problem. It I think it probably works just as well. It it's effectively about a girl. She's hiding out in a tourist town, trying to keep her head, uh, trying to keep her head down, trying to stay out of trouble. But trouble finds her and the way that she chooses to respond to trouble finding her means that her past finds her because she has a past. She has something she's been running from and she ends up in a situation where she is forced to return to the place she's been running from to confront the things she's been running from. But everything is not quite as it seems. She returns to her home city of Melbourne thinking that she's going to find a way out of her predicaments and it 
proves to be the exact opposite of that. And the situation escalates from there and there are decapitations, there are road bikies, there is a letter opener used in a slightly unique way. Um, <laughs> chaos reigns. Uh, and I realise that's very vague, but I kind of feel like anything past the first chapter of this book starts to sort of stray into spoiler territory. And yeah, I don't want yeah. to be too spoiler phobic here no. because I think that there's a few moments I would like to talk about more specifically, mm -hmm. but generally speaking, imagine John Wick set in Melbourne is what I'm really going for here. With I'm a going female for protagonist. With a female protagonist. Oh. Uh, that's really the vibe I was going for. You know, I wanted that, that awesome operatic pulpy sort of thrill ride of a John Wick film where it is a character up against impossible odds, desperately trying to survive. And you're constantly wondering how they're going to get out of it. And they always do get out of it, but the thrill isn't seeing how they do it. But I also kind of wanted to bring in a little bit of that. You know, how the John Wick films have that, that insanely absurd, like, operatic backstory and the universe they take place in just isn't quite our world mm -hmm. i wanted to bring a little bit of that to it as well where there is I, I want to kind of create this rich sort of criminal ecosystem that maggie is thrown into full of colorful characters with dark pasts who all sort of sit in different places on the morality spectrum and kind of just let them all at each other and and again like i said before just let chaos reign so i think it's a, it's, a, it's probably a more um populated book than The Hunted in terms of the cast of characters and in terms of the different agendas going on and clashing against each other. But I do think it retains that same, you know, visceral, pulpy, thriller-ride nature. Yeah, absolutely, it does. Absolutely. It's funny, last time we caught up in person, now we're, you know, all in lockdown, we was the Sydney Writers' Festival, and it was so awesome to catch up with you. And then we, you know, bumped into Agent Tara from Curtis Brown, and something stuck in my head when she was talking to us. So she said something about, and Gabe is just an incredible writer. And I knew that already, right? But I think because The Hunted was so um, action-driven, I think the writing was invisible, which, of course, is good writing. But this time when I read this book, I was like, I'm going to take notice of Gabe's writing, <laughs> right? And from the first page, I was like, oh, my God, like, you are such a good writer. And I know exactly what Tara was saying. Like, just the way you put words together and the way you created this character and, and go from action to interior, I was like, you know what? You've just, you're amazing. So I just wanted to tell you that. Oh, thank you so much, Danny. That's like, it's because I mean, you know, I, I feel like I, I mean, I, I guess all I can say is that I, yeah, I, I try to write well as much as I can, but <laughs> I'm also like aware that I'm, I'm ultimately, you know, I am ultimately writing pulp here and, and I love writing pulp, but, but to hear that and to hear that, like it, it, the, the writing has landed, it absolutely means the world, you know, it, it really, really does because I do, as, as much as I'm writing pulp, I also kind of want to write pulp that goes a little bit deeper. You know, I don't, I don't want to write disposable novels. I want to write books that stick with people in the framework of fun action stories. And and to hear that just, it absolutely means the world. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I just, I, that's, that conversation stuck in my mind. That's all. <laughs> now with Maggie, the past is important. The past comes to collect. Is that part of what drove this story? And do you think the past always comes to collect? Oh, it's such a good question. Um, I think if the past doesn't come to collect in in a in an overt way of it, like turning up and knocking on your door, I think if you have a past or you have something that you're grappling with, it will stay with you and it will drive you and it will always shape you and always be part of you. Um, I think in noir fiction, the past kind of can't not come to collect. It, it sort of has to <laughs> make an appearance and rock up because otherwise you tend to not have a story. But I always knew that, you know, in my in my earliest I guess, a vision for this ongoing, hopefully ongoing series, I'd sort of seen this story as maybe being like the fourth or the fifth one down the line, you know? I sort of thought I would 
have a few stories of Maggie kind of dealing with an, a more immediate issue before I had the book that would really delve into her backstory. And so, at, funnily enough, it was actually when Tara, who you mentioned before, my now agent, acquired The Hunted, she asked me for a pitch for a sequel. At the time, I had a few different ideas. And so I sent her, I think, three or four different paragraphs of different Maggie story ideas that I had. And it was this one that she came back and she was like, that's what I'm most interested in. And I was like, well, that's cool because this is probably the one I most want to write because this, and and in retrospect, it kind of made the most sense because after her getting an introduction in The Hunted and kind of getting to be the kind of violent avenging angel character she was in The Hunted, it, it absolutely felt like the right thing to do was to go a bit deeper the next time around, you know, and to actually delve into who she was and to really let the audience get to know her as a character. And I always knew that her past was going to be huge. I will say that there are aspects of her past that I haven't yet delved into that I kind of want to explore in other books. There's a couple of vague areas of her backstory that I've left deliberately obscure because I have ideas about how those are going to get filled in and how they're going to inform other stories. Mm -hmm. But for this one, you know, it was really all about dealing with the fact that if you, I mean, it's not a massive spoiler because if you read The Hunted, you know, and if you haven't read The Hunted, it literally happens on the second page of the book. <laughs> but, you know, she she killed her father, she stole his money, and she's been on the run ever since. And that was always going to come back in some way, shape, or form. And it kind of felt like, well, you know, book two, let's get into it. Let's actually get into the consequence of that. And let's get into what that means for her and how she feels about it and what's actually driven her to do that. But one, I, I guess one of the big things that was really driving this book was the idea of the sins of the father have become the daughters to either absolve or avenge. Mm. And there is one chapter in the book, and actually I think I maybe mentioned this to you the last time we spoke, but there was one chapter in the book that was very influenced by Jack Heath. And it was it's, it's a later chapter in the book where one of the characters effectively is telling Maggie a bit of important backstory. And in the one of the earlier drafts of the book, all of the backstory that kind of Maggie doesn't know all of it. She's experienced some of it, but she doesn't know everything that happened to like make her father the way he was and to lead to the circumstances that would eventually lead to her having to kill him. But I, originally all of that backstory was delivered just through exposition. There was just a lot of scenes of different characters monologuing at Maggie about this quite complex history. And when I read over it, I was like, it just doesn't really work. It doesn't really give it that sense of like, of weight or of scope or of what you just said about the past coming to collect. And it was when I went back and I was looking through Jack's books and I realized that he's got a lot of scenes in the Timothy Blake books where crucial backstory is delivered through a character talking to Blake and giving him the exposition. But what Jack will then do really cleverly is that he will then shift into that character's perspective for a chapter. Mm -hmm. And so instead of us reading specifically what the character says, we read that character's experiences as that character is conveying those experiences to Blake. And so I straight up ripped off that technique for this one chapter in the book. And it's a 7,000 word chapter that like delves into the backstory of Maggie's father, into everything that happens to kind of lead us to the story that we're seeing in the present day. And it's through the perspective of a new character who I thoroughly enjoyed writing and really kind of, you know, enjoyed the company of in this book. But, you know, that was something that I kind of took from Jack and I felt like that was a really ended up being like quite an effective way to to let the past have weight and to let mm -hmm. the part, to, I guess, to create a scenario in which the audience could actually see the past and could actually see the events that led to this and not just have endless scenes of 
repetitive exposition because, you know, I mean, that I think exposition can be compelling, but at the same time, if not done well, it can be deaf to a story, particularly a fast paced action driven story like this one. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, the, the, the drive of the past was a huge part of the book. And I think that preoccupation sort of, sort of, you know, is threaded throughout the book from start to finish, really. Mm, absolutely. And it is compelling. And I felt like even though there were lulls, I felt like it operated at quite breakneck speed, you know, where there was a lull, there was some action right around the corner. Right around the corner. <laughs> exactly. So it wasn't, you know, the lulls were, were good, but they were short. <laughs> so it wasn't. <laughs> but I was wondering, you know, from a writing process perspective, were these plot points, did you plot point these actions or was it a more organic process or was it very deliberate? How did you do that? Oh, look, it was, it was a little A, little B because, this is where I'm going to, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to lift a bit of a curtain here. Um, so the first draft that I submitted originally of this book was extremely different. The first third was probably more or less the same. It was still Maggie in Queensland. It was still Harrison Cooper, her father's former best friend, tracks her down and asks for her help in, uh, in securing her father's inheritance. And basically Maggie kind of previously thought that, you know, she was on, she thought that she kind of was the main suspect for killing her father. So she's like, oh, but if I'm not, you know, can I go back and can I get the money and can I get crucial information that he had and all of that? That was all more or less the same. But originally it had a completely different antagonist. It had a completely different bad guy. It had a completely different conspiracy that was going on in the background. And I remember finishing that book and not being a hundred percent, you know, uh, not not kind of 100% believing in it, I guess. But you know you know what happens sometimes where you write something for long enough and then you end up just so buried in it that you can't see it clearly anymore. Yeah. And I ended up submitting that to Catherine Milne, my publisher at Harper. And it took Catherine quite a long while to get back to me. But Catherine eventually sent her notes and, you know, Catherine's notes are always incredible. And her notes on this, uh, she didn't say this outright, but the subtext of her very carefully phrased uh, <laughs> appraisal of the book was this is a bad book please rewrite this book and that was that was what I took away from it and and funnily enough you know the moment that I would um, love if Catherine listened to this and was like oh no well, oh well yeah maybe I kind of meant that <laughs> I, I think it's I think that was I think that was the um the undercurrent of what was going on but but you know it was it was an amazing moment because I remember kind of reading her notes hearing that subtext and kind of going yeah okay like fair enough and i think that was the biggest giveaway and that i was i didn't get remotely defensive i was like all right yeah. let's let's scrap it and i mean as catherine would be able to attest what followed was like a couple of months of a lot of very frantic phone calls from me being like catherine what, what if it's this and what if what if this happens what if this happens what if this happens what if this, and what, what if this and what if this and like but i, I just kind of kept coming up against barriers. So I would kind of, I, I figured out who my new antagonist was going to be, but then I couldn't, but then, then I sort of realized that they weren't really working. And then I sort of tried to bring somebody else in and then they didn't really work either. And I just had kind of all these moving parts that I was really struggling to make coalesce. And I remember it was over Christmas. I spent, I spent this day in Chadson with my housemates doing some Christmas shopping. And I kind of got my Christmas shopping done like in the first 20 minutes that they well stayed there for hours on end. <laughs> and I just ended up like walking around, just thinking through this book. So like there was, I think I was this like, you know, this, this one weird guy, like wandering through Chadson, like hands kind of inadvertently flailing as he tried to think through the climax of the book and think through how to make it work. And I can't I imagine ended up, that at like, all, Gabe. Uh, no, not at all. It's a in character. But, and then I kind of ended up uh, after, after Christmas, I went home to my hometown of Mansfield and I had this 
new idea of where I thought the climax of the book could take place. And it was, it's a real place. that's about 20 minutes from my hometown. And so I just ended up going out there. I got my dad to drop me out there first thing in the morning. And I spent the day out there and I just plotted out the whole back half of the book wow. and just kind of, you know, really sort of committed to walking it through. But it was, it really was this process of trial and error. Like, you know, I, I, I had a very vague idea of roughly where it was going. And sometimes I do try to plan fairly meticulously. Like the hunted was relatively meticulously planned whereas this was a lot more like i would write until i hit a brick wall mm -hmm. and then i would have to kind of go away and really think about how do, shopping I make this again. Work? how do i go yeah go wander around chadston at you know peak christmas hours again because apparently that helped or, or didn't but um but yeah so look it really was a process of trial and error and of um running into brick walls and taking a different direction till eventually oh, I, I found something that i was happy with and by the end of it you know i looked at it and i kind of thought wow you know i I realized that I really had something to say with this book about, about parenthood and about inheritance and about what we take from our parents and whether we are beholden to, and not only our parents, but like the, the, the many influences that we have yes. through the early parts of our lives and about how adulthood to me really does come at the moment where the person who you are emerges from, I suppose, the chrysalis of external influence. And that's not to say the external influence doesn't shape you because it does, but where you do kind of realize who you are in almost in opposition to the forces that have shaped you. And that's kind of what this book is about. And even though Maggie's circumstances are heightened and extreme and, and bloody and, and full on, I do think that that struggle is something that is very human that we all go through to different degrees. And that, that central theme, I think it's, it's actually summed up by Maggie towards the end of the book, where I think she says something to the effect of like what our parents give us, we don't have to keep that theme was like my guiding star. So I sort of knew through all of the brick walls and all of the stuff ups and all of the various moments where the story didn't come together the way I was hoping it would. I always knew that was what I was working towards. And I was like, as long as I come up with a book that really, I like that makes that statement for me, mm. then I know I will have found something that even if it isn't as popular as The Hunted and even if it doesn't hit home for readers the way The Hunted did, at least I know that I have, I suppose, the internal integrity of having told a story that really meant a huge amount to me and frankly means more to me than The Hunted did because it is saying something more personal and more me and more reflective of the stuff that I guess I've been really thinking about as I've moved through my 20s, you know? Mm, I love that idea of just having that one sentence that guides you through the whole thing. Like, I love that. I think that's really purposeful, but it's really deep as well. I really like it. It kind of comes back to like, and I think, you know, at, at film school, we're always taught about the idea of the, you know, the, the, the concept of the controlling idea. And at the time, you know, I kind of railed against it, but then I sort of realised that every story in existence usually will have some kind of theme that floats at the top. And sometimes that's unconscious. There are a lot of writers out there who say, oh, no, I don't think about a prescribed theme. And I mean, that that's okay. But usually audiences will be able to read something into it one mm -hmm. way or another. I don't think we would write unless there was something we had to explore or unpack or examine, you know. And it's one of the reasons why this is a book where throughout it, we kind of see Maggie dealing with a lot of potential father figures. Like there is kind of this running theme of different characters in her life who all sort of are twisted father figures in one way or another. And ultimately it's her kind of coming through those relationships and realizing that she doesn't need somebody to be her father or to be her guidance. She can be her guidance. You know, mm -hmm. she can be the person who decides who she is and she doesn't have to be shaped by anybody else. She doesn't have to be shaped by her past. I mean, she'll always be informed by it, but doesn't have to define her. And so, you know, I feel like 
as long as I kept that sentence in my head, the the book remains somewhat consistent, at least from a thematic standpoint, if that makes any sense whatsoever. No, it makes total sense because I wanted to ask you about childhood trauma and how that translates and impacts an adult. And if you can ever, like you said, separate yourself from that, or does it always kind of remain with you sometimes? Yeah, oh, it's it's such a look. I mean, I've got to say, this is where I put my fiction writer hat on and say that you know, I had a I had a I had a fairly you know fine childhood. Like there was no <laughs> there was there was no terrible trauma really for me growing up. But but I also do think that even even people who had the most idyllic childhoods in the world will have things from their childhoods that they will carry or you know influences that they might only realize later in life they have to break away from or ideas that they might hold to that they then realize they don't necessarily align with. And I think where the inheritance lands in the end is in a place that doesn't necessarily suggest that childhood trauma or childhood influences can be completely cut loose because they, they, they almost shouldn't be because they, they, the things that we go through become part of us. And it is ultimately that question of like nature versus nurture. You know, are we, are we defined completely by the things that we've experienced or is there something deeper that characterizes who we ultimately are? And it's such an interesting question. I think it is the question that Maggie is grappling with throughout this. And I think where she lands at the end of the book, and that's probably in alignment with where I think I've landed as an adult now is that we can't, we can't shake the things that made us, but we don't have to be defined by them. Yeah. Like who we are can rise above that because if you position yourself completely in alignment or in opposition to the influences that you had when you were younger, then you're never really going to be your own person, you know, mm-hmm. but that's not to say that that's not to say that those things that, that you can ever really cast off those things. They'll always be there. There will always be the things that we carry through from throughout our lives, from our childhood, from our teens, from our twenties, you know, the, the crucial traumatizing things that we all go through to one degree or another will always be there and will always inform us and will always shape us. And I think we can accept that without having to be beholden to it. Mm-hmm. But I think that does take work. And that's kind of what the book ultimately is about and kind of what I think grounds it as something more than just a succession of action scenes, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, I thought that too. And I thought she does so much of this alone as well. And I, I, in the beginning of the book, I was thinking, how does someone with that, you know, very traumatic past then navigate the world alone? And it creates that kind of hardness and that kind of survival. But there's also that vulnerability to her as well. And I liked that you were able to build that in because I think that might have been, was that a challenge? Um. No, because it was inadvertent, I think. Um, I don't think I meant to kind of, you know, expose the the real soft, vulnerable, tender parts of Maggie when I set out to write this, but it was part of the you know, part of the magic that happens in the best writing experiences and the inheritance was not the best writing experience, but it, because of the you know the litany of challenges. <laughs> the rewrite. That, yes, but <laughs> but you know, the thing that I always came back to was the fact that even in that very first draft in the city early scenes between Maggie and Harrison Cooper, who, as I said before, is her father's best friend, but is also the person who Maggie as a child desperately wished would be her father and desperately wished would take her away from this horrible household and give her a home. It was in writing the relationship between Maggie and Cooper that I really started to see the vulnerable side of her. I started to see the damaged child at the heart of her that she covers up by being hard and being survivalist and being brutal. But it was through those scenes that I really emotionally started to connect with her. And 
the more I got into the book, the more I delved into that. And there's a scene, I think, about two thirds into the book where Maggie kind of, I guess, tracks down her father's inner sanctum, this place that like meant a huge amount to her father. And that whole scene is really just Maggie in that place, just kind of letting the weight of everything that she's been through, but everything that she's now kind of learned her father went through and her father was party to wash over her. And, and we finally actually get to see her break down and we get to see all of this really, you know, hit her as a human being, not as this like Jack Reacher-esque dealer of death, I suppose. And <laughs> I so, <laughs> so I, I suppose that the vulnerability really just kind of, found its way quite naturally into the book but it was it was really that that I guess maybe was my second guiding star apart from that idea about parenthood and it also really helped that in this book we actually get to see Maggie make a friend um there's the character of Jack Carlin who is this rogue ex-cop who worked with her father who she sort of ends up pairing up with later on in the book and they kind of work together and Jack is one of one of I guess the the list of potential father figures who turn up throughout the book but Jack is also somebody who is trying to do good despite having a checkered past and is damaged in his own way and also kind of has, as the book kind of explores, a contentious, difficult relationship with his own child. And, you know, I think Maggie and Jack find this, like, weird sort of, you know, relationship of equals where they don't kind of need to fill those roles of, like, father-daughter to each other, but they, they become this sort of kindred spirits. I think, was it Kyle Perry who said to me, like, like, you know, you could write a series of books about the two of them getting into scrapes and they could be this like murder duo together, which like, <laughs> I think it was him who said like murder duo and that, like that really stuck with me, but, That's but it was like, trilogy. Actually, <laughs> well, yeah. um, but you know, actually giving her somebody else who could really understand her and could really like connect with her and really be a kindred spirit, like helped a lot because, you know, Maggie and Jack, neither of them are vulnerable characters inherently, but I think they they allow they they allow each other to be vulnerable because they recognize each other's strength they have this mutual respect but they also know that the strength that they have does stem from quite a wounded place and you know you you learn what jack's wound is later on in the book as well but you know they they sort of they see each other and that lets them be quite honest with each other and some of my favorite scenes later in the book are those scenes of just the two of them like sitting on the porch of this like rustic house, sharing a whiskey and not really saying a hell of a lot to each other, but they don't, they don't really need to because they kind of see each other and understand each other. And I mean, in, in future books, like that is a relationship that I would love to bring back. And I mean, you know, like uh, I just found Jack such a like breath of fresh air in this story because, you know, where Maggie's taciturn, he's snarky and quippy and kind of has a, has a sharp comeback for everything, but they, they sort of balance each other in a really nice yeah. way. So, so that, that really allowed, I guess, a different angle into her as well. Well, I look forward to the murdered duo, uh, the third Well, I can actually <laughs> confirm, or, or I think I can confirm <laughs> it hasn't been announced yet, but I, I, it should be soon enough or by the time this comes out. But I actually have an Audible original coming out in September, on September the 6th, which is about Jack Carlin. So it's uh, wow. it's set six months before The Inheritance. And it's kind of, so So a lot of the, rec Maggie isn't in it. I'll confirm that now, just mm -hmm. in case people are wondering. But it was, um, it's basically a crime pulp story that Jack ends up involved in about six months before The Inheritance. But a lot of the supporting characters in The Inheritance are in that story as well. But it's kind of told first person from Jack's point of view. And it was a huge amount of fun to write. And I just mm. today finished listening to the final recording and it sounds so, so good. Oh, wow. And so like if, if people do like The Inheritance and do kind of want more of this corner of the world and more of that character in particular than there is more literally around the corner. Oh, a scoop so. too, an accidental scoop. 
Yes. I knew I'd get a secret out of you tonight, Gabe. Yeah, you always do. So. <laughs> There's one thing, this is not a deep question, but I really liked the road trip, big fan of road trips myself, but I loved how intense the road trip was from Queensland to Melbourne. And I did a road trip to Melbourne pre, you know, this lockdown, and I stopped at that submarine. Did you do this drive? I was there. Okay, so so I've, like, so the, so the submarine in Holbrook, uh, for those who don't know, you know, the, the town of Holbrook, which is, like, off the Hume Highway, and there's just a massive submarine sitting in... Um, so it's you're amazing. sitting in their park there. It's it's crazy. And even but, when you're um, an adult, you want to pretend that you're a pirate or something. Yeah, well, I may or may not have not? done Gabe. <laughs> uh, look, I I do it every time I'm there. But I think in a weird way, like I included a bunch of locations, and given that this book is so messed up, this is weird. But I included a bunch of locations that were really kind of seared into my head from childhood because when we were kids, you know. Uh, we have family who live in Canberra. And so we would do the road trip from Melbourne to Canberra a lot. But conversely, before we lived in, or before we lived in Mansfield, we lived up in the Central Coast. So we do the trip down from there to Canberra as well. So that whole drive along the Hume, uh, I know really well. And as kids, you know, we would occasionally go on holiday up in Port Douglas and Cairns as well. So I really was kind of like taking a lot of like my, you know, the, the places that I loved visiting as a child and putting them into the story. But Holbrook and the submarine was <laughs> like a stop that my brothers and I insisted on every yeah. time we drove up. And mum and dad would have been like, all right, come on, just a submarine. Can we please keep driving? But every time we're like, no, I'm sorry. It's like, it's like the Edamoga pub. It's like, sorry, if we're doing that drive, we've got to stop in and we've got to see the submarine <laughs> and we've got to climb up on it. We've got to run up and down it. We've got to do all of that. Absolutely. So I don't know. That was just kind of it. But I also just thought, you know, it's like, it's such a like, it's such a quirky, strange little thing that I just thought was like, you know, it and and it kind of comes, its appearance in the story comes at a point where we do get like a new note of vulnerability from Maggie. And it just kind of felt like an interesting setting to it. sort of to sort of shed another layer of her armor a bit. And um I'm I'm very glad to hear that you recognize the submarine because I've, I've used a lot of like the hunt is funny because the hunt sort of took place in like anywhere outback australia mm. like i really there was no specific place the hunted was set whereas inheritance is like packed with specific yeah, places from start and i was to there just a couple of months ago when i went yeah, to well. i was like oh i was here i was here <laughs> So no, I'm, I'm really, really glad to hear that that landed because I'm kind of hoping that people read it and they go, wait, I've been there, I've been there, I've been there. And, um, and you know, because I, I really enjoy that when I'm reading something and I go, oh, place. That so, place. Someone so else knows about that, the yeah. submarine. Yes, yes, the whole book submarine. The H HMAS Otway, I think it's called. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in the book one way or another. If I've got it wrong, but. Loved it. <laughs> now, we've had audible coming out or that's coming out surely you've got you know the hunted and the inheritance we talked about a ya novel not that long ago no. are, you, are you allowed to tell me what's next um so another ya novel is next um i've got a couple of projects i can't talk about going on more in the screen sphere mm -hmm. uh i've got a, i've got another audible original i'm doing as well which will be a little bit closer in tone to the hunted i'm sort of beginning to work on that now but the main thing I'm in the middle of now is my next YA book, which comes out in June next year, I believe. So originally I'd actually written a sequel to The True Colour of Little White Lie, okay, yep. uh, but we decided we would go in a slightly different direction. We A lot of lot of great discussions between myself and Lisa Berryman, my publisher, and we sort of thought let's do something a little bit different and then save The True Colour sequel for a bit later because it's like Nelson's a bit older in it and it sort of makes more sense to kind of space it out a little bit more. Um, so it's a, it's a white, uh, I don't know what I can say about it apart from that. It's a very dark YA. Okay. Like it's, it's a little so bit more. I'm going to love it. 
okay well it's i hope so because it's like it's i'm having a really great time writing it but there are moments in it where i kind of go can i get away with this because like this is young adult but like it's it's full on and it's um it delves into some like really naughty territory but i'm i'm really enjoying writing it and it's um it's it's kind of i, I don't want to say 13 reasons why because it, that's not what it is yeah. but totally it's a little bit more in that kind of wow. area than something like okay. true color which was like lighter and throppier yeah. it's kind of yeah. it's a ya psychological thriller mm. about a character who ends up with a really terrible moral dilemma and that creates a domino effect of terrible things happening and um, I'm about halfway through the manuscript at the moment and feeling really good about it. So that will probably be the immediate next thing after Audible will be that. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm feeling really excited about reading it. So I'm looking forward to that. I, I sincerely hope it works because I have no <laughs> idea at the moment. Well, you know, if if I like how The Inheritance, you wrote it, it wasn't quite right and you sort of hit lots of walls and there was, I'm, I'm hearing, you didn't say, but I'm hearing there's a bit of panic in there or a bit of Oh, yeah, no, so anxiety. much. Not a, not a bit, like a <laughs> okay. huge amount. And, and, you know, you got that right. So I have full faith in you, but, you know, I always ask guests at the end of my podcast why you write but Gabe I've asked you that question a lot of times now <laughs> you're a regular and you'll be back again I'll hunt you down so I've had to think of a little bit of a new question for Gabe so are you ready Ooh, okay are you ready yep go on I, I hope you didn't prepare why did you write <laughs> I, I didn't I, I was like I don't think I'd come up with another one from what I said last That's time right. so okay, I kind of asking that question again so I want to ask you how does writing shape you as a person Oh, man. I love the silence. It means I've oh, asked you a yeah, hard no. question. Um, <laughs> this is, I mean, yeah, okay, like, uh, sorry, I, di I didn't think that I would ever feel the panic I felt with the inheritance again, but, oh, um, but here it is as, I, as I try to figure out how to answer that. Um, I'm glad I'm having shaped me as a person. I, I, a few years ago, I listened to this radio interview with an author, and she said I write because it's cheaper than therapy. Mm. And... I, that's not necessarily what I believe, but I, I really do believe that like writing has given me this, apart from the fact that it is an incredible privilege to be able to do this for a living and to be able to just like tell these stories that I have made up and, and somehow find an appreciative audience for it. Like, I don't think I will ever get over how amazing and thrilling that is. But like, I mean, now at this point in my life, it has, it has put me in a position where like, I'm, I mean, I'm living my dream life right now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing stories that I love writing for people who want to hear them. Like, I mean, like, how mad is that? You know, I mean, that that's insane. And, you know, I mean, that has put me in a position where like every single day I'm reminded of how lucky I am and how fortunate and how happy I am to be where I am and whatever other stuff is going on, no matter what like dramas or problems with like with work or whatever else, or like, you know, like, and when I say work, you know, I mean like writing work and if something comes in, it's like, oh, there's a deadline I'm trying to meet or, or a story's not working the way I want it to work or whatever. I kind of have to just stop and be like yeah but I mean even even those panics kind of come with like a bit of a giddy grin of being like I can't believe this is my life you know I can't believe this is what I get to do so I mean you know on, on the one level it's like it shaped my life in in huge ways where my life is what I what I think I always dream my life would be at the moment and you know I, I hope it stays that way but apart from anything else it also just like has given me this incredible outlet to just work through my stuff you know like whatever that stuff might be like there is there in everything I've written so far whether it's Boone Shepherd whether it's The Hunted whether it's The True Color of Little White Lie whether it's The Inheritance whether it's the new book that's not titled yet all of them there is something that you know 
I have been lucky enough to be able to use my fiction to work through and kind of find some sort of a court on. And so I don't think I would be the person I am now without writing. I don't think I would be the person who, I don't think I would be a person who I am quite happy to be without writing, without having had this incredible outlet that has let me just, you know, be in constant conversation with myself about the person who I want to be at every turn of my life. And writing is what affords that for me. I don't think I would, I don't think I'd be able to, you know, confront that stuff without writing. And so, you know, I mean, it's shaped me in, in, in innumerable, massive, unfathomable ways that I am always surprised by and always, always, always grateful for. I mean, it is, I, I can't offer enough thanks to like every single person who has supported this journey at every step along the way, because to be in this position now is the most beautiful privilege of my entire life. And I can't, I can't be more grateful for it. I need to have a good answer, even though you might have panicked for three <laughs> seconds. <laughs> well, I mean, just, you go. Just, just ramble through it and hope that something cogent emerges. It's the story of my life. You just wait till you come on again. I'm going to have to ask another deep, weird <laughs> well, question. So. Well, I'll be ready for it this time. <laughs> I'll, you know, come in armed and ready to go. <laughs> as always Gabe I just love speaking to you for so many reasons we go on tangents we go in these weird deep directions and we talk at 100 miles an hour that's what I really like about you and your enthusiasm too for writing and for for life and what you do I mean I'm if there's enthusiasm I'm turning up to that party so <laughs> thank you so much no, again for sharing your time with me thank Gabe. you so much Danny because again you know I mean it's like it's always that thing of like you know you you write a story and you live with it by yourself for so long. And I always love, I mean, I love coming on your show and I love talking about it because it's like, oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. You know, I finally <laughs> get to like, you know, like, like talk about all the things that I've been living with by myself for so long. And I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host and always, you know, make us feel so welcomed and so special and get and get down into the gritty good stuff that you know we like maybe sometimes are more reticent about sharing so so no thank you so much for the opportunity and thanks for having me back again like it's i mean you've had me on twice and somehow you you've invited me back again but um thank you so much and there'll be a fourth don't you worry about that <laughs> yep looking forward to it already thanks so much game Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny V Books Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.